you, Pastor. You know, it's really great to be here again. The last time I came was on Good Friday, if you remember. Uh, I was preaching at the Good Friday uh, combined service. And um, I just want to encourage uh, our dear sister who is going to the Logos. 25 years ago, I was mentoring this young man. And he was in NUS at that time. And after NUS, he actually went to the Dulos. Yeah, he went to the Dulos for four years. Uh, Dulos is the sistership of uh, Logos. Yeah, and he went for four years. After he left Dulos for four years, he went to become a missionary in Cambodia under the Methodist Mission Society. And he was there for another four years. And then he went to Trinity Theological College to study, and I met him there again. <laughs> yeah, I mentored him for five years, and then I met him, and I was his senior in Trinity Theological College when I was studying. Uh, and, and I graduated first, and, and then he graduated, and then he became a pastor, and now he's the senior pastor of a church. You know, God has paved the way for him to serve him full-time, even as a senior pastor of a church, even today. You know, sister, though, you know, now you start off in Logos, the Lord is going to path your way to a greater ministry in the future. Yeah, let, let us now read Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 8. Just Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 8. I know uh, pastor gave me a little bit longer, but I don't think I will be able to reached that far, so I went to do verse 2 to 8. Let me read it to you first. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that you may encourage, He may encourage your hearts. Let us go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we pray right now, Lord, that your word will come alive. The words that Apostle Paul had written to the church in Colossae. And dear God, we pray, Father, that these words, Lord, we will also apply it in our lives. And dear God, that you will show us, Lord, through these words of Apostle Paul will become words of encouragement to us too, Lord. Words of exhortation and it becomes the word, the Rima word of God into our lives. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody say, Amen. How many of you here are first generation Christians? When I say first generation Christians, this means that your parents are not Christians before and, and you became a Christian all on your own. How many of you? Ah, quite a few of you. Huh? How many of you are second generation Christians? And second generation Christians means that you are, uh, uh, you know, you, you are born in a Christian family. How many of you? Yeah, the other 50%. About there, 50-50, huh? huh, I can see. Anyway, um, both first and generation Christians have different struggles, right? Do you think so? Yes. First generation Christians have their struggles. Second generation Christians also have their struggles. For the first generation Christians, you face parents, grandparents, and family members, where especially when you first receive Christ, they do not believe. They, they believe in another God, maybe. They believe in another religion, and sometimes persecution even comes. You face with difficult, difficult decisions, especially when the family goes through a major event or major crisis like a funeral. How do I participate in a funeral when they are all holding joystick, for example? You know, should I bow down together with them and all? You, you have to make difficult decisions like this. 
and, and maybe even weddings, you know. I remember when I got married to my wife and, uh, you know, her, her, her family is a non-Christian family at that time and, and they will give us a tea, a cup of tea that they want us to pour onto the ground because it's to, to feed the tea to the descendants, uh, 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 to, to the ascendants, uh, the, the, all the ancestors. Ancestors who had died, you know. And, and we, 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 we actually like kind of worship them, you know, in this way. I refuse to take the cup. And my, when my wife saw me refuse to take the cup, she also refused to take the cup. Yeah. And, and in the end, they just did it themselves. I just turned around. Turn around. <laughs> you want to do whatever you want to do, you do. That was my decision that I had to make. And, and at that time, I remember also when my wife and I, when we were going to be baptized, um, it was really tough because she, told, she, she, she knows that she had to be baptized and um, she told her parents that she's going to be baptized. Out of respect, I tell you that I'm going to be baptized. Whether you are permission or not, I mean, this is my relationship with the Lord. And, we, and her, her father actually threatened her and said, uh, you go and be baptized this Saturday. You come back, all your clothes and your, all your books will be outside the house. Wow, we prayed <laughs> that week. You know, it was tough. And my wife cried, you know, throughout the week, I remember. At that time, she was my girlfriend, lah, not wife yet, you know. We went to get baptized. And then they were living on a HDB flat on the ninth floor, the leaf landing. We came back, we came out on the leaf, we walk, and we look at the corridor. Oh, things are not outside the house. <laughs> you know, but her father refused to talk to her for one week. But you know, after that, what happened? The Lord honoured our decision that we made to just get baptised. Uh, the Lord honoured us. How? One day, her, her mother came to us and, and tell us, um, uh, I, we, these fruits on the table, please don't eat. Eat the ones that are in the fridge. Uh, because uh, the ones that are on the table, we, we buy fire already, you know, we pray to, we offer it to the idol. So I don't think you should be eating this. We were like, huh? <laughs> wow, now you even respect, you know, uh, food offered to idols, you know. Wow, telling us not to eat the food offered to idols. Please eat the ones that we, and even buy for us fruits that are not offered and, and put it aside for us, you know. And I was like, wow, that is amazing, right? From, from one that is of persecution and then suddenly even respect the decision we made. And today, I want to thank God because my parents-in-law, my mother, they are all Christians. In fact, the last uh, two Christmas ago, my, my parents-in-law were even baptized and they invited the whole family who were not Christians, you know, their brothers, their sisters, their many brothers and sisters, all came to church and witnessed their baptism. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And that's the struggle that a lot of first-generation Christians actually had to deal with. Struggle. Second-generation Christian, I can see a different set of struggle that you face. You are unsure of the actual moment you receive Christ. Um, you know, some of us, um, my children, face that too. And how to relate with unbelievers without causing misunderstanding because uh, second generation Christians grew up in Christian environment, Christian family. Even go, some of us, uh, my, my children, they go to Christian schools. You know, they mix around with Christians. And in, on Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, still mix around with Christians. And they seldom have a, a majority uh, non-Christian environment. And so, in fact, people put unrealistic expectation, especially on children of pastors and leaders and missionaries, you know. They put unrealistic expectation on them when they are just actually ordinary, uh, uh, as ordinary as any other Christians in the church. Uh, my children face that too, you know. Uh, how can you do this? You are the pastor's children, you know. Oh, I didn't choose to be born in a pastor's family, hello? <laughs> you know? My father chose to be a pastor, not me. <laughs> yeah. So they, they are, in second generation Christians, they have their own struggle as well. 
Now, many of the Christians in Colossae were new believers. And the first, they are all, uh, most of them are first generation Christians. So now you understand where I'm coming from. The Christian community in the city of Colossae was caught up in the struggle that a lot of us who are first generation Christians that we face. And they needed help and guidance by more matured Christians. And so the Apostle Paul, who wrote to the church in Colossae, he was guiding them. And he helped and built and strengthened their faith. And I believe your pastors over the weeks or even the guest speakers over the weeks would have given you a background like this. In the passage that we just read in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 8, actually gives us uh, the last chapter of this, this passage in Col- Colossians. Apostle Paul exhorted the Colossian Christians to devote themselves in prayer, be a good witness, and be an encourager. Three things that he exhorted them to be. And this is his last command to them before uh, he ended the letter uh, in Colossae with some greetings at the end. But Apostle Paul gave three points that I would, I would summarize three points that, that he exhorted the Colossian Christians. Firstly, to devote themselves in prayer. Number two, to be good witnesses. And number three, to be an encourager. Let us begin with the first exhortation by the Apostle Paul. Number one, be devoted in prayer. Apostle Paul shows us two things that we should be devoted when we pray. One, the first one, the first thing that we need to focus on when we are devoted in prayer is to pray for opportunities. Let me read Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. 2 to 3. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then he asked them to pray for two things. But I'm going to look at it, the first one. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul shows us that any opportunity he has for ministry is given to him because God opened the doors for his message to be proclaimed. We have to seize every opportunity that God has opened to us. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison. And he is asking the Colossian church the Colossian Christians, to pray for open doors for him while he is in prison. It is interesting to me that Paul is looking for opportunities right where he is at in prison. Many think that you have to go outside of your normal routine to share your faith and to, sh- to evangelize to others, to tell others about Jesus Christ. But I don't think that is the case at all when Apostle Paul says this. Pray for opportunities. If we look at Matthew chapter 28, we find the Great Commission, Jesus' final instructions to the disciples and to all of us here who are disciples of Jesus. Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think this verse, all of you, I think every one of us knows this verse by heart even. You can even recite them. But if you look at the original Greek manuscripts, you know, when we go and study in the seminary, we actually had to study Greek. And some of us had the option whether we want to study Hebrew as well because that's the original language uh, uh, of, of the New Testament. Greek is the original language and then uh, the Old Testament is Hebrew. And, and so, if you look in the original Greek manuscripts of this particular passage in Matthew chapter 28, the imperative or the command word is not go which a lot of people, when we read, uh, therefore, go! 
and make disciples. No, it's not go. It's actually the, 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 the words that are imperative. If you read, look at the tenses, look at the grammar in the Greek manuscript, the imperative or the command word is make disciples, not go. Go is a participle. Okay, in the Greek, it is a participle. Those who understand language or grammar, you will understand what I'm trying to bring across. This means that the word go is more like as you go about, as you go about doing something, make disciples. You understand where I'm coming, coming from now? As you go about doing your daily lives, make disciples. Putting this together, the Great Commission looks very different than what we have always read it. We always think, go! Wow, you must go for a mission trip. You must go out and knock at the doors and make disciples. No. As you go about your daily affairs, make disciples. As you work at your workplace, make disciples. As you play soccer at the soccer field, make disciples. As you rest and watch a movie, Come out of the movie with your friends. Go to the go to uh, what 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 cafe that you always go nowadays. Yeah, uh, make disciples. Okay, uh, as you drive, don't go and scold and curse the driver who cut into your lane. Pray for him. You know, make disciples as you go about your daily life. Make disciples, and as you are going about your daily lives, we will find opportunities to share Christ with those we interact with. And Paul commanded us, as you go about doing your daily life, pray for opportunities. And I warn you, if you pray and ask God for opportunities, God will give you opportunities and you must capture such moments. The second thing that Paul asked the Colossian church to pray for is that we must pray with clarity. Colossians chapter 4, verse 4. He says here, Pray that I may proclaim it, what? Clearly, as I should. Pray for clarity. And when we have the opportunity to share, we must be able to share clearly. To proclaim a message clearly is to show the person that what we are sharing is from God. It is not from ourselves or something that we made up it's a story that God only could write. Evangelism really starts with prayer. And, and we pray for opportunities and we pray for clarity. And that is how we should devote ourselves to prayer. You know, it's not just praying for, for, for evangelism and outreach as well. You know, your pastor also asked me uh, in, in, in the topic that he gave me, prayer, praying, and encouraging. And I, 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 when I saw the word encouraging, yeah, yes, Apostle Paul also would like to encourage the Colossians. And one of the best ways to encourage one another is actually to pray for one another. You know, as a pastor, I, uh, for, for a number of years already, I have my prayer supporters whom I will provide prayer updates to them so that they can uphold me in prayer. And I just want to share with you a parable about, about this praying for your pastor. You know, this is a parable, okay? Uh, what, what is a parable? A parable is not a true story. Uh, it's, it's just a story that we make up like Jesus, you know. He, he tells a story that is not actually happening, not a historical, but it's a parable. And we can learn truths from it. It may not be a true story, but we can learn truths from that story. So I, I'm going to tell you this parable. I found myself in heaven one day, in, outside the pearly gates. And then after that, the angel woke up to me, you know, and, and the angel said to me, Welcome, Raymond. You are going to level 72. I was like, huh? I was surprised because I didn't know that in heaven there are levels. <laughs> So I asked the angel, huh? What, what, what level 72? And the angel replied, there are levels here in heaven. And the highest level that nobody can come on is at level 77. That is where God is. 
And then I said to myself, wow, level 72, not bad, you know. Quite close to level 77. And just as I was about to step into the elevator that brings me up to level 72, the angel suddenly stopped me and pulled me by the side and said, hang on, hang on. I think I need to check something out before I let you go to level 72. Oh, that time I panicked. I said, oh, uh, what did I do? Did I miss out something? You know, did I do something wrong? And the angel said, no, 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 don't worry. Everything is okay. Just that there is a little bit of discrepancy here. I was like, huh? Discrepancy? I panicked now and I grabbed the angels by the wings and I asked him, tell me, what's wrong? And the angel said, actually, based on all that you have done, based on all the accomplishments that you have made and you have done, the churches you pastored, the messages you preached, the church camp you organized, you are more than qualified to go to level 72. But when I look at the amount of time you spend seeking God, the amount of time you pray in your room, which comes out to about 30 to 45 minutes a day, i just wondering, uh, based on that type of number, uh, how could you have done so much, accomplished so much with this 30, 45 minutes a day praying, you know? You should be praying longer, you know. You need more prayer to be able to support the accomplishment that you did. And I think, oh, also quite true, like my heart dropped because I know it's true. I'm not one of those who loves to lock myself up in a room and pray three hours a day. <laughs> three hours a day, what a waste of time, right? You know, we all Singaporean would say. I thought it was, oh, I finished, man. I'm gone. So I waited for the angel and the angel disappeared for 20 minutes, you know, which seems like eternity. And he came back and he said to me, congratulations, Raymond, you made it. Welcome to level 72. Now you can go into the lift. I was so happy and I turned to the angel and asked, so what happened? Then the angel replied, actually, it is true. Based on the amount of time you pray and seek God's face, there is no way you can accomplish this. But we checked and found out that there are many other people praying for you. And only on that basis of what they are doing, praying for you, you have managed to accomplish all that you did. And so we welcome you to level 72. And I realize that I stand high because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants who prayed for me. And you know, as pastor, I'm no big deal at the end of the day. None of us are that great after all, unless we have people praying for us. Then I asked the angel, hey, um, one last request. I got one request. You know, uh, I want to meet all those who have been praying for me so I can thank them, you know, so that I can go to level 72. You know what happened? The angel said to me, nah, don't worry lah. They will come in at level 76. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's true, you know. They are going to get the front row seats because they prayed for their pastors. My, my encouragement right now, my exhortation for all of you members of Pasir Panjang Hill Brethren Church, I think it is important that you pray for your pastors, your senior pastor, your pastor low here, and every pastor in this church and not just your pastors, your elders. You need to pray for them and cover them in prayer. Because, you know, as they serve the Lord and work, their hearts out, their guts out. You know, they are the number one hitman for the devil. The devil is always trying to find something to hit them, to make them, render them powerless even. The devil is going to to find every means and ways to make sure they are ineffective. And I would like to encourage you, devote, like what Apostle Paul said, be devoted in prayer, not just to pray for opportunities, for clarity, but pray for your pastors as well, because your pastors need your prayer. Unless you don't want to go to level 76. Let's go to Point number two that I have to make now. 
Paul also says, be a good witness. It can be found in verse 5. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Uh, outsiders, it means actually non-Christians. Those who are outside the church, non-Christians, don't unbelievers. Make the most of every opportunity. You know, when the opportunity comes, make the most of it and be a good witness. Not just in words, but more so in action. That's what it says here. Be wise in the way you act. Not just talk, but act towards unbelievers. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. I heard of a story of a pastor by the name of Rob Bell. And he shared about some friends of his who moved into this new neighbourhood. And the guy right across the street where they are going to move in, just across the street, that guy was a satanist. You know, as a satanist, uh, he read satanic Bible, he worshipped the devil. And these new family who are uh, uh, friends of this pastor, who are Christians, very strong Christians, and this family in the neighbourhood realised that this was a crazy opportunity so that they just, so, so they just asked themselves, what would it look like to love our neighbour? Poor, want to love this guy, you know, and, and, and show him that Christ is important to him too, you know. So they did all they could. They helped him with food, let him borrow their car, helped him find a job, and eventually they got around some months later to talking about deep realities of the world and faith and freedom and hope and joy. And then this guy, the Satanist, received Jesus and was baptized and became a follower of Christ. And in, you know what he said later? He said, obviously, when they moved in, I didn't want them there <laughs> opposite me. and wa I wanted them to move away. But I decided I was just going to watch them. See, that is a profound truth. We are all talking about Jesus so much, you know, today. The question is, what are we saying about Him? Not just in our words, but in our actions and in our lives. For example, if this couple who moved across the street from the Satanist, when they found out he was a Satanist, Satanist they did everything they could to avoid him, uh, avoid talking to him, avoid helping him, avoid sharing, because they knew he was a Satanist. And he knew they were Christians, you know. What are they going to say about him? What, what are they saying to him? Well, if Christ's followers don't care about me, then Christ does not care about me. That's, that's what they would be saying. These people will be saying. If, you, they, we, if we refuse to hang out with the people around us, especially if they are unbelievers, uh, we refuse to love them, we refuse to share with non-Christians, we are telling these people about Jesus, we are telling them that Jesus wouldn't talk to them, wouldn't hang out with them, wouldn't serve them, wouldn't love them, wouldn't share with them. And that's a lie. So what are we telling them? Paul says exactly, almost the exact same thing to the Ephesian church as well. If you realise, uh, uh, amazing, this one I, I realised that in Colossians and then in Ephesians, it was like photocopy, you know. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. Let me read it to you. It says, be very careful how you live. Exactly right. The other one is what? Be wise in the way you act towards unbelievers. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Again, Apostle Paul repeated in Ephesians, to the Ephesian church, be careful how you live. The Greek for, for living, for live, could be translated as walk. So be careful in how you are walking. Or be wise. And make every opportunity, redeem the time you have been given because the days are evil. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 continues on to say, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It is interesting to note that Apostle Paul, actually first he 
talked extensively about how we act, and then now he switches to what we say. When we do speak, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, and with wise answers. So be a good witness. Apostle Paul, let me summarize it quickly. Point number two. Apostle Paul is saying, be a good witness in action and in your conversation. And I came across a story uh, in the beginning of this year. A, a fellow friend actually uh, uh, brought me to this video that was really, really interesting. I came across a story of Katie. Katie Davis. How many of you know Katie Davis? No, thank God. Now you will know her. Katie Davis, some years back, she was, she just finished her high school, you know, her junior college, as in, 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 in Singapore, it's junior college. She just finished, she's about to go to university. And, and before she was about to go to university, she had a long break like we all Singaporean or so, right? After A-levels, you have how long before you go to university? Some of you will have about six months because July, they start university. Uh, in the past, I know it's like that. Lah. My time, lah, huh? at least. Uh, she finished her high school equivalent to our junior college. She topped her class in her A-levels. She, her results were good enough to enter any university in US. She was even... Uh, uh, homecoming queen. I don't know what's that, but she was homecoming queen in her un- in her high class, uh, high school. And during her break, she wanted to go for a mission internship, like our dear sister, you know. But hers is ten months in Uganda as a preschool kindergarten teacher. She decided that God has placed a passion in her to be a good witness, and even adopted. 14 children at such a young age. And, you know, she had to wait for a few years before she can legally adopt those children because she was underage to be a parent, an adopted parent. Uh, so let's watch this video, Get Encouraged by Katie Davis. She's an amazing witness for the Lord. you to come with me on a journey. A journey that started three years ago when I thought I knew what my life would look like. And I had no idea. A journey that has shown me more about the Father's heart and his extravagant compassion than I could have ever imagined. A journey that requires me to give more of myself every single day. It's a journey that took me from a 10-month commitment to teach kindergarten in Uganda to a lifetime commitment of bettering and serving this country. I'm Katie Davis. I'm 21 years old, and I live here in Uganda. I run Amazima Ministries, and my full-time occupation is that I'm a mom to 14 little girls. From an early age, people would always ask me, you know, you'd have like career day, what do you want to be when you grow up type thing, and I had always said I wanted to be Mother Teresa, just because, I guess I just loved her heart for children. It is my 16th birthday, and I'm eating sushi at my favorite restaurant when I tell my parents that I'd like to explore the possibility of doing mission work out of high school. I graduate high school having made a commitment to teach at a preschool for a year in the middle of nowhere, Uganda. My parents were so not on board, but you know, it came to a point where it was like, okay, God said, you choose me or you choose to please your dad. And uh, what is, what's it gonna be? And I said, all right, I'm going back. It is January and I'm looking at a little girl crushed under a brick wall with no one to take care of her and her siblings. I offer to take them home with me until we find a better solution. I'm not really sure what to do with them, but I know that they are God's children. They stay. It is three days later, and the littlest one looks up and she calls me mommy. My heart breaks in two. I have no idea what to do, but something clicks. I'm even more scared than the day that I stepped on that plane, but I know that this is right. Today I have 14. I get a lot of that, like, do you really feel that they're your children? Do you really feel like it's a family? And I say, you come on over for dinner and tell me, Um, because it is. It is our family. 
people say to me all the time, like, wow, you are so lucky that you found what God wants you to do with your life. And I kind of look at those people and think, like, well, I didn't. I didn't find it. It was just it was just in the Bible. And so as someone who calls themselves a Christian, I mean it's very apparent that you are to love the Lord with all your heart and then you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And like myself doesn't want to be starving. And so I don't want other people in the world to be starving. Jesus does not ask that we care for the less fortunate. He demands it. When calling ourselves Christ followers, caring for orphans and the desolate and the widow are not an option. It's a requirement. I would like to invite you to come with me on this journey that is so far from over and see what God will do next. Amazing young lady, yeah. She started a ministry at such a young age. Not only that, she, uh, apart from adopting 14 children, she actually fed more than 200 people every day. Do you hear what I say? She fed 200 hungry people every day in Uganda. And, and, and the thing is this, she, she was supposed to be a 10-month after the 10 months, she didn't want to go home and she just called home and said, I'm not going home. And she said, this is my life. To serve God. Because God had called me to do that. To be a good witness to the people in Uganda. And my, my, my encouragement and exhortation to all of you is be devoted in prayer as the Apostle Paul also encouraged all of us to be devoted in prayer and pray for your pastors as God gives them opportunity and that they will be able to share the Word of God with clarity as the Colossian church actually also prayed for Apostle Paul for opportunities and that they will be able, that he will be able to share with clarity. And then, the Apostle Paul also tell them to be a good witness, both with their lives, with their actions, and also with their conversation. Let me give you one last thing. Be an encourager. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. And it says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant of, in the Lord, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Apostle Paul sent Tychicus to the church in Colossae to encourage their hearts. The word encourage comes from the Greek word parakalio, which is two words actually. Para, and, uh, which means alongside, and kalio, which means to call. Put them together and we get to call alongside. God has called us alongside to help one another. Inspire each other to courage. Give each other determination and say to one another, I'm with you all the way. And that's encouragement. That's encouraging. How can we be encouragers? We encourage one another with positive words and we encourage one another with practical help. If you realize it is the same thing again that I'm repeating, it is about the words that you say and the actions that you help. Again, the same truth applies for being a good witness as well as being an encourager. Words and action, positive words and practical actions. So I just want to summarize it be devoted in prayer especially praying for your elders and your pastors. Be a good witness and be an encourager. Let me end with one more video and we shall end. This video is about a young lady in Singapore. A young lady from Singapore who decided to go on a trip to four neighbouring countries 
to find out what poverty is like. And so she went to Philippines, she went to Thailand, she went to India, and she went to Cambodia. And one of the days, while she was visiting the slums and the poor and the hungry, the, the, the people who are very, very poor, she wanted to find out what poverty is. So she went to all these places. And one of the days, she saw this girl at the slums. And she realized that this girl could have been her. All she needs to do is, if she is born in that place, that girl could have been her. And she realized, you know, like, like uh, uh, our dear sister, she said, you know, why am I born in Singapore? Why am I born in such a luxurious place, you know? All I worry about o, uh, is, is O-level, A-level, who am I going to marry next, you know, and things like that. <laughs> you know, that's what we all Singaporeans worry about. Uh, am I going to get my CPF? <laughs> yeah. Watch this video and let God reveal the opportunities you have to make a difference in words and actions so that you too can be a good witness and be a great encourager. Let's watch this video, A Generation of Hope, and I will close. What does it mean for an entire generation to live in utter poverty? I set out across four countries in Asia to find out. It was a journey that took me from the villages of Cambodia and India to the mega cities in Thailand and the Philippines. What I saw in those places broke my heart. Poverty scars an entire generation right from the start. 105 million children in Asia are malnourished. This girl's parents work in a rubbish dump in Manila. She's drinking rice water. It's all her parents can afford to give her. Other children I met were even more unfortunate. 1.7 million people died when Cambodia was ruled by Pol Pot in the 1970s. As a result, an entire generation of Cambodian children lost their parents and were left to fend for themselves. Poverty forces children to work at a young age. They'll take just about any job that comes along. Many become scavengers. They roam the streets endlessly, looking in every rubbish dump for something they can sell. What we consider rubbish is their source of income. For a day's work, they make less than a dollar a day. Sadly, dumps like these are a common sight across Asia. I visited another one just outside the city centre in Manila. Children scavenge to find something to sell. Others are looking out for the next meal. Life for this generation is about making it through the day. When you're not even sure of having a place to stay, everything else is a luxury. 44% of children in Asia are illiterate. Think about what that means for a second. They'll never learn to write their names, much less read a book. What I've seen on this trip broke my heart. For perhaps the first time in my life, I came face to face with poverty. It became more than a word or a concept. These are God's children, created in His image. You and I grew up in affluence. Our lives are filled with toys, games, entertainment, the latest gadgets. We never had to think about where our next meal was coming from. Our only worry, our O-levels, A-levels, what to be when we grow up and <laughs> who we are going to marry. In my travels, I met young people in their teens and twenties, not too different from us. But while we're lost in a world of luxury, they live from hand to mouth, without any hope 
of a better life. That girl I met at the slum could have been me. I wonder why I was born in Singapore. I've certainly done nothing to deserve this life of comfort and luxury. What is our destiny as young Singaporeans who have been blessed with so much? What does God want us to do in the face of so much pain and poverty at our doorstep? I don't have the answer, but I know what Jesus did. He took the form of sinful man and lived with us a long time ago. Today, he invites us to do the same. To walk in his way, to march to a different beat, the Father's heartbeat. Like Jesus, we can choose to walk into the slums, the streets, the shelters. We can bring the love of Jesus to those who are poor, needy, hungry, and forgotten. Because whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for Him. I'd like to just end and close with a word of prayer. But before that, um, last, last year I brought the primary six boys in our church to the slums in West Timor. And this is the first time the P6 boys, 12-year-old boys after their PSLE, during the PSLE marking week, we brought them to the slums and to the refugee camps where they, these guys got no home, no hope, you know, in life. And we ministered to all of them there and to two orphanages as well and to the prisons. Yes, four places. This year end, I'm going to bring my whole family, including my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my mother, everyone, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, all of us are going to uh, Surabaya and into the slums as well. And you know, I want to challenge all of you. Do something significant for uh, during your holidays as well. You know, you know, you have your holidays, you know, and, and make it significant for yourselves. I mean, I've been trying my best to see how I can serve the Lord as well. And I, I urge all of you to think about it and see how you can go. If you have not gone for a mission trip, just go for a mission trip that will even bless and minister to the people at our doorstep. Amen? Let us go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Every head is bowed, every eyes closed. I believe you've seen the, the two video clips that I've brought about Katie Davis, and also about this girl, a Singapore girl who went to four countries to discover what poverty is. And maybe some of you have a stirring in your heart that God has put a fire in you, maybe a spark, and asking you to see how you can serve the Lord in one way or another, a simple way, to even touch another person's life. As you go about doing your daily life, as you go about even going for a holiday, how you can make every opportunity and pray for every opportunity to even share Christ with clarity and to be a good witness in the way you act and in your conversation and that you will be an encourager to others around you as well especially to the believers. If you are that person, I just want you to put up your hand and say, yes, the Lord has given me a stir in my heart, a fire, a spark, a small spark in my heart. And I want the Lord to see it and I want the Lord to, to, flip, to, to, to fan the flame so that it will actually happen in my life. How many of you, if you have, you put up your hand and I will pray for you. Yes, I see your hand, brother. Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand, sister, in the front. Anybody else? That God has put a spark, a flame in your heart to do 
what He wants you to do to touch somebody's life out there. Anybody else? Before I pray, yes, I see your hand, brother. Any, yes, I see your hand, brother. Anybody? Yes, I see your hand and on, on, on the right. Yes, yes, I see your hand, brother. God bless you. Yes. Let me pray for you. Father God, I, you have seen those hands, who are, uh, those, hands those people who have put up their hands. Dear God, I pray that you will fan the fire in their hearts, oh God. I pray, God, that you will use them mightily, Lord. I pray, Father, that you will open doors of opportunities that they will be able to do your will. And that is to just be a good witness in their conversation and in their actions, in their life. And even as they go about doing, going about doing whatever they need to do, that you will grow that desire in their hearts that they will make great significant work in the kingdom of God. I pray, Father, you protect them from the evil one, that the evil one will not extinguish that flame. But I pray, Father, that that flame will even grow stronger each day so that they will see the day where they, they will be able to do great and mighty works for you as ordinary people with an extraordinary God behind them. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that for the rest of us, Lord, that you will just continue to use us and help us to be good witnesses, help us to be prayer warriors for our pastors and our elders, and that you will show us, Lord, how we can be an encourager to the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody say, Amen. Let's rise.